Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Sally Percy, author of 21st Century Business Icons, The Leaders Who Are Changing Our World. Now, Sally has nearly 20 years' experience as a business journalist. She's editor of Edge, the official journal of the UK's Institute of Leadership, and a leadership contributor to Forbes.com. Welcome, Sally. So now, there are a ton of books out there about leadership. What inspired you to write 21st Century Business Icons? What inspired me to write the book is learning from these really successful people. And as much as possible, understanding how they saw their success in their own words. So that's, I think that's what sets it apart from sort of most other leadership books that are out there. It's not about um, me and my own thoughts on leadership. It's really about what these leaders think about leadership and just trying to tell their stories in an interesting, engaging way. And you mentioned Bezos, for example, and you've got a piece on Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, and there are quite a few lesser-known examples as well. You might perhaps call them niche leaders. So what were your criteria for inclusion? Well, when I was looking for some the niche leaders, I mean, it's obviously a big thing to be in a book where um, people are writing about Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos. So when you're thinking about what sort of niche leaders you might feature in there, I mean, I was really looking for people who were doing something quite different, were already making sort of quite big waves in their field, but weren't necessarily um, household names. I was looking for people who had the potential to to sort of make a difference in more than one market, so not just in their domestic market. And looking for people, I suppose, who were going to make a really positive impact in the world in some way. But from the range of the different people, what do you think a business reader will get out of reading any particular profile? What, do you, what are you trying to communicate? Simply to reveal that leader or is there something else you might want people to understand? Well, I think firstly, it helps the reader to understand the stories of different leaders because, you know, though a lot of people would have heard of Elon Musk, for example, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know his story. And I, I think there can be sometimes a bit of an assumption when you think about famous business leaders that they've had an overnight success or something like that. I mean, James Dyson, for example, now it feels like he's been successful for decades. In fact, he has been successful for decades, but it also took him several decades to become successful. People often don't realise sort of how much sort of hard graft has gone into um, the success story, you know, that they're not overnight success stories. So I think it helps... It helps to get a bit of an understanding of these people. And I think in terms of what what people can take away from the book, I think it's kind of learning sort of what behaviours, what characteristics that these leaders have that other people can think, oh, yeah, you know, I can kind of take something away from that. I could try a bit harder to develop this characteristic in myself. Or I do actually have this similar characteristic to this very successful person. I really need to make more of it. I think the other thing that by reading all the different case studies together, I think it's sort of clear that there's a lot that they do have in common, the different leaders, but they're also different. And, sort of, you know, there's different routes to success. Yes. In fact, I think a story that might be of particular interest to this listener audience is Andrea Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, of Diligent Robotics. How did you come across Andrea and 
for you, what makes Diligent an attractive story? I mean, I think what makes, for me, one of the things that makes an interesting story is that Andrea comes, comes from an academic background and was a professor originally, and she sort of built her business on sort of that technical expertise that she actually had. And then she's become sort of morphed into this really successful businesswoman. And I think that's the only story of, of its nature in the book. And I, I think what's quite inspiring about it is it, you know, it shows that, um, you know, we can all have kind of mis, mis no, we can all have conceptions about the sort of person who becomes an entrepreneur. And we don't necessarily think it will be a, you know, slightly bookish looking academic who's actually going to start up a groundbreaking company. And actually, obviously, you know, that's what she's doing. And in fact, of course, a lot of academics do start very successful companies, but we don't always really hear about that in the media. And, you know, she's a very different sort of character from Elon Musk. And, and, and I think that's kind of what the appeal was to me, that it, it was just different from the sort of so-called typical entrepreneurial stories that you hear. Yes. And in fact, we'll touch on what makes a good leader, because you uh, say in your conclusion, what well, you capture a very nice quote from Henry Ford. It has been my observation that most people get ahead during the time that others waste. That, <laughs> that work ethic seems to be a common thread. So after writing the book and with your experience in general of um, working in the leadership field or commenting on it, what do you think makes a good leader? Well, it's actually interesting you, you picked up a, the work theme there, actually, Toby, because, um, in fact, that was one of the really sort of resounding messages that came out of the book. And it's actually hard work's sort of not very trendy these days, the idea that someone's successful because they've worked hard. It, it used to be, you know, kind of accepted principle, really. But nowadays, you're supposed to be working smarter, not harder. But but actually, it's exactly right. I mean, these people are incredibly hard working. Um, Elon Musk is a renowned workaholic. But um, when you're kind of reading the stories of, of all the different leaders, you know, the amount that they put into making a success of their businesses, I mean, it's really quite phenomenal. So they put a huge amount of effort. In some cases, you know, virtually they sacrifice their lives to it. Um, so that's definitely one thing um, you know, I think it's impossible to you know, become an ultra successful leader, really, unless you're prepared to put the hard yards in. But I think from reading the book, you know, the messages that come out about what makes a good leader, vision's really important. Um, you've got to have a big vision that other people will buy into because that's going to be how you're going to attract and retain talent. It's really important. A willingness to embrace failure, that came over again and again and again. And it's interesting to hear organisations say you've got to embrace failure. It's really important to embrace failure. But actually, in practice, it, it does kind of go against natural human nature, really. Essentially, we don't want to fail in life. You know, if you think at the most fundamental level, survival level, if you fail at certain things, you know, it can threaten your survival. So, but these people, you know, these leaders that I profile, I mean, they really do embrace failure and they bounce back again and they learn from it. And and then they go on to um, achieve even greater things. So that, that came through quite strongly as well. Um, certainly with some of the leaders, particularly often the female leaders, they talked a lot about kind of getting the best out of other people um, and certainly had an idea that they were, you know, part of a bigger team and it's not all about them and their ego. 
And um, so that came over very strongly from the book too. And the killer question, of course, who is your favourite and why? My favourite leader is actually that I profiled in the book was Satoshi Nakamoto. And just the reason for that is I was so intrigued by the idea that someone could found this, you know, cryptocurrency Bitcoin and you know, manage to get something off the ground like this. And, you know, the, big, uh, the market capitalization of Bitcoin today is um, over $500 billion. You know, it is a huge, huge business. And, you know, you can forget about that because, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, it's a giant Ponzi scheme and it's, you know, being used by money launderers and, and all those things. But actually, I mean, it, you know, it didn't even exist 15 years ago. Now, here it is, this massive thing. And the person who's founded it disappeared over a decade ago. I mean, I guess that to me, that kind of shows a testament of the power of the vision, really. So someone can paint a vision of something, get it off the ground, and that then kind of disappear off and go, right, I'm leaving it to the rest of you to carry it on. I mean, in some respects, that's kind of the most incredible leadership there is, really, isn't it? But um, <laughs> um, And so that was my favourite chapter, and I enjoyed researching it and exploring who all the different um, people who could be Satoshi, who they might have been. I certainly haven't come to any conclusions. That I think it's probably a man. I think he was probably British. Um, other than that, I wouldn't really like to speculate, but I, but I certainly found that a really interesting and fun chapter to research. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sally, for talking to us about your book, 21st Century Business Icons. I think I can now safely re reveal that uh, Sat Satoshi is actually Banksy. And uh, on <laughs> that bombshell, thank you very much, Sally. You can get the book from all good bookshops and, of course, Amazon. Thank you, Sally. Thank you.